Chapter Twelve of My Flirtations by Ella Hepworth Dixon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twelve. Duncan Clive's Hamlet had taken the town. Christina roundly declared it was a revolting exhibition, but I don't know good acting from bad, so this last reading of the great part was good enough for me. True, it was a smug, sentimental, South Kensingtonian hamlet, but I, in common with the rest of the public, became enthusiastic over Mr. Duncan Clive. We are only human, and my ardor was possibly not unconnected with the fact that the manager of the proscenium theatre was the fashion. Fashions in art are eminently contagious. He had the look of a Roman emperor. His large round head, his square, clean-shaven jaw, and his broad shoulders made him an effective stage figure though in private life he often looked depressed and bilious and affected a humble and slightly apologetic manner if you can picture nero or caligula in a sublime frock-coat sitting down meekly over the teacups and talking of elevating the drama and improving the public taste you have a vision of mr duncan clive as he used to appear in our drawing-room he was an actor-manager so he had to talk about improving the public taste and yet keep one eye on the box-office he spent fabulous sums on the production of his pieces and all the town would flock to see his real empire furniture and his genuine aubusson carpets whether he is a great actor or not i argued one day with christina at any rate you must admit he has done a great deal for the stage my dear you mean for the stage carpenter replied my sister in an aggravatingly conclusive tone of voice ours was the sort of house to which everybody goes from ambassadors to interviewers there was hardly anybody we didn't know and christina and i were told to be civil to all and sundry but there was no need to admonish me to be civil to the new hamlet i was in the studio squeezing out colours on to father's palette one day when mr duncan clive was announced there he stood in the flesh my favourite stage lover looking very blue about the jaw and very dazzling about the necktie and he waited a second or two holding back the heavy portiere just as he always did when he wished to make an effective entrance on the stage then he stepped forward rapidly with a brilliant smile shaking hands with father and making me a low and deferential bow father was to paint him as hamlet for the next academy and he had chosen to be done not with yorick's skull or in the famous soliloquy but in the scene with guildenstern where he snaps the pipe in two do you think i am easier to be played on than a pipe was the line to be depicted and to be sure duncan clive made an imposing figure enough in his sombre doublet standing with his chin a little forward and his eyes turned suspiciously towards the spectator it was characteristic of the man to have chosen that particular episode that especial pose for he was above all things undecided and distrustful he wanted to be in the movement but he wished to be well with the british public he would like to have mounted hedda gabbler had there been a part big enough for him to play he was capable of producing maeterlinck but for his doubts about filling the stalls to see him humbly asking the opinion of the critics at one of his first-night suppers on the stage of the proscenium theatre was a curious and instructive spectacle he asked everybody's advice that was one of his chief attractions in the eyes of women and he even asked mine mr duncan clive had beautiful suggestive hands which he used a good deal when he talked and a wandering shifty eye which travelled all round the room even when he bent towards you in one of his many confidences he had interminable confidences to make he liked to talk about his early life 
only as his imagination was vivid and his memory defective his early life was apt to be coloured by the mood of the moment on dreary dark november days when the trees outside seemed to ooze grime and soot he would tell you in thrilling tones that he began life barefoot selling newspapers in the streets or calling cabs at the theatre doors and how one gruesome night when he was shivering in the slush he had made a vow that he would produce shakespearean plays at a london theatre before he was thirty years of age other days when the sun shone and the wind rioted out of doors he would recall a rose-shaded drawing-room window giving on a blue sea and a gentle-voiced mother who read browning to him as he sat on soft cushions at her feet no certainly the accounts of mr duncan clive's early training did not as his stage carpenter would have expressed it join but i am firmly convinced that while he was talking to you while his deep-set hungry grey eyes sought inspiration now in yours and now in the fairyland inside the fire he believed for the moment what he was saying most women liked to listen to duncan clive's confidences especially as mrs duncan clive did not usually accompany him when he paid afternoon calls he had married the walking lady of a travelling company some years ago but this fact by no means interfered with his success with the sex who cares whether orlando charles surface or young mirabel has a wife in bayswater or a troop of brats in bedford park not even the most romantic schoolgirl cares young mirabel carries the glamour of the footlights with him wherever he goes but this glamour to be sure rather interferes with the due enjoyment of one's idol who is apt to be surrounded by admiring devotees does orlando in white gardenia and patent leather boots but offer you his arm to go down to supper and you are pursued by a crowd of admiring ladies who hope to snatch him from you you are permitted to have neither your cavalier nor your supper you gaze wistfully at the salads and aspics while an elderly lady buttonholes orlando reminding him archly that they met six years ago in a railway carriage in switzerland and proceeds on the strength of this acquaintanceship to introduce to him her three nieces from huddersfield who are so devoted to dear mr clive's acting lady susan takes him by the arm into a distant corner from whence he is presently dug out by the duchess of birmingham who is just dying to present him to miss van hoyt the successful actor-manager is always engulfed in a sea of petticoats but all this i could have borne if it had not been for laylidge lee she was the last straw i could have forgiven him his wife she didn't seem to count and i could have forgiven him miss montmorency the leading lady for i suspected him of being jealous of her success with the dress circle but for miss laylidge lee who played the pert chambermaids in comedy and who undertook the singing fairies in shakespearean productions for her i had no toleration we had just had a card for a supper-party on the stage of the proscenium theatre and the matter was being discussed in my young days said mother doubtfully girls wouldn't have been taken to supper-parties behind the scenes they're tremendously good fun said lady susan who was paying one of her seven minutes visits and quite good form you know and all that sort of thing lady rougemont never misses one of duncan's parties and what's more she brings her daughter so do mrs stanley goring and most of that lot you won't meet any actresses there my dear lady i can tell you we might as well go to a crush in mayfair then said christina oh it's not as bad as all that replied lady susan what i meant to say was that miss lee is the only actress who ever appears at duncan's suppers and she is perfectly good form you know her father was a dean 
they always are said christina but lady susan pretended not to hear at half-past eleven on the night in question we drove up to the proscenium just as the audience was streaming out it was the hundredth night of a piece in three acts called hypocrisy which had drawn the town for some three months going down the soft carpeted staircase lighted by pink-shaded lamps and lined with mirrors and laurel wreaths called by duncan clive on his last american tour we passed the entrance to the stalls the open door revealing a now empty house with rows of pale pink and white chairs and then mounting a step or two turned sharply to the right where a narrow door gave on to the wings the stage was set with the last act of hypocrisy a scene which depicted the precincts of the camellia club in which a masked ball is supposed to take place duncan clive had not had time to change his dress and he now stood at the door with brown grease paint on his cheek and blue pencil lines around his eyes smiling and welcoming his guests one or two modish women notorious for their bohemian tastes had brought their young daughters who surprised delighted and a little bit frightened at the novel scene in which they found themselves whispered together in corners all aflutter with excitement and curiosity the critics imperturbable as usual preserved a mask-like expression of countenance while they listened to the confidences of one or two leading actors on the vexed subject of their parts and a phalanx of men about town a trifle bald about the temples a little weary about the eyes gradually gathered on the stage all these exquisitely dressed individuals addressed the actor-manager as duncan pressed the hand while they whispered a compliment into the ear of miss laylidge lee and then distributed themselves among the society dames who graced the scene with their presence meanwhile the heat was stifling and the footlights below with the electric lights in the flies cast an unbecoming radiance on many a dyed head and wrinkled visage in the distance a middle-aged and faded woman covered in diamonds had engaged mr clive in close confabulation that's mrs stanley goring good family rich nice husband but goes in for the stage don't you know whispered lady susan she's never happy unless she's got duncan to lunch or supper a buffet had been hastily erected by a dozen men in theatrical livery and here cabinet ministers fashionable doctors blond jews white-headed generals eminent tragedians and the press scrambled for champagne bottles sandwiches and cigars a stout red-faced man who looked like a navvy in evening dress was surrounded by a little court all anxious to hear what he said that is brown the stock exchange speculator continued lady susan he makes corners in things and people want to know which way the wind's going to blow i'm just going to make love to him myself i want a straight tip about lake shores there's percy whitemore the young man from the thalia never mention the stage if you talk to him my dear always discuss horses he likes to be taken for a cavalryman meanwhile mrs duncan clive in a drab silk gown hovered vaguely with an apologetic smile in the background and a gallant old general who was devoted to the stage surprised her very much by detaining her in conversation miss montmorency who it was supposed had not only a past but a present had swept out smothered in a fur pelisse and point lace directly the play was over as lady susan had predicted miss laylidge lee was the only actress there for the daughter of an eminent ecclesiastic i must say that miss lee displayed a considerable knowledge of the ways of an effete and over-civilized world she was a very pretty woman even with that flaunting dab of rouge on each cheek and those deep blue smudges around her eyes even with that fixed conventional smile and that languorous professional glance 
already a little circle of men surrounded her so that it was almost impossible to approach but it was to mr brown the stock exchange magnate that she seemed to have most to say one heard her inquiring feverishly about brighton a's and expressing doubts about the future of grand trunks she wished to be well too with mrs stanley goring and detained that lady's hand in her own while she shot several killing glances over her shoulder at the critic of the daily telephone mr duncan clive had pressed my hand and murmured something pretty when i arrived but he had not yet found time to come and speak to me i do think this sort of thing is overrated don't you i whispered to christina they were bringing on a fresh supply of champagne now and the men were beginning to smoke and tell stories the smart women were slipping out with their young daughters through the flapping canvas doors father thought it was time to go and so did i picking up our skirts we stepped cautiously along the dusty world behind the scenes threading our way through virgin forests dungeon walls and flowering june meadows to the stage door it was pitch dark but we could see outside stood a neat brougham and a man's back the back as we emerged into the street turned out to be that of mr duncan clive with the grease-paint still on his lips my idol was imprinting a farewell salute on the bismuth whitened arm of miss laylidge lee who laughed as she slammed the carriage door it was an evidently not unrehearsed stage idol End of chapter twelve